Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> Welcome to It's Not Human Sexuality, the show that goes beyond sexuality to reproductive health. Understanding the foundations of reproductive health allows you and the ones you love to make better decisions about your health, mind, and relationships. Joining us today is Valerie Landis. Knowing what you want is critical in egg freezing. I'm Dr. B. And I'm Mandy Johnson. And this is It's Not Human Sexuality. Valerie Landis describes herself as the average girl next door. But picture an average girl who has frozen 61 of her own eggs and is on a mission to help others do the same. I always say to women, make your egg freezing choices outside of whatever relationship status you're in. When Valerie first considered freezing her eggs, she couldn't find clear and honest information about it. That's why she started several egg banking ventures and media projects to help thaw the information fog surrounding this practice. Valerie has been working in the women's health field for the last decade. Her medical career experiences and passion for helping women merged when she founded her educational website, eggsperience.com. She focuses on guiding women of any reproductive age through the complex and challenging paths of fertility decisions. It's just how our society's changed. We're delaying everything in life. There's more women going to college and university and getting advanced degrees and education and becoming doctors and lawyers. Like, who has time to have a baby? Valerie compliments the Egg Experience website with a fertility podcast called Eggology Club that she hosts to continue to change the conversation around cryopreservation and egg freezing. She provides non-biased and fact-based information to empower women to feel inspired, brave, and act progressively to take control of their future families and protect their fertility. The fertility-focused website and podcast feature many leading fertility experts, knowledgeable egg freezing resources, along with highlighting a collection of first-hand accounts of other women's journeys. She has frozen her eggs three times between the ages of 33 and 36 for fertility preservation and family planning reasons. She hopes that by starting the conversation about protecting our future selves with non-biased and fact-based information, women will feel inspired, brave, and act progressively. Valerie speaks openly about her own multiple egg freezing cycles, her family planning decisions, and is showcasing her experience with the video docu-series called This Is Egg Freezing. Follow or reach out to Valerie on social media via the link shore.by forward slash Valerie D. Landis. Welcome, Valerie. We're really excited to have you on the podcast today and hear all about your experiences and your knowledge about egg freezing. Great to see you ladies and to be on the podcast with you today. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. We're, this is um, this is fun episode for us. Um, as you know, I'm a reproductive biologist. And so we do, I have a crab bank. We do long-term storage for eggs, sperm and, and embryos. We also uh, do male fertility testing and um, male fertility preservation, but we don't do the IVF portion or that end of it. But I do want to get something clear for our, our listeners. Um, when we're talking about egg banking, the vast majority of clients are female assigned at birth, and we will identify them as women. But a trans person or non-binary person could store their eggs as well. And we just want to make sure that in this episode, we're encompassing all of that. As somebody who works with a trans population for trans female young youth, in transition, um, we're, we try to be really conscious of 
of that. But so basically what we're referring to is those with ovaries. Yeah. yeah. We've kind of thrown out this word as we started discussing and we, we, we talked about fertility preservation. And so explain that for our listeners, fertility preservation. Fertility preservation in my world, or what I would would say, is that we're prolonging the biological clock and extending it. Women that were born female, they have a disadvantage from our male counterparts, right? Um, Because there's a window where we can biologically reproduce and have our own biological child. And um, whereas men can be fathers well into their their late years. And so because of that, women have to be a little bit more proactive about their fertility, just like you would your 401k or your career or, you know, what you studied in college and what your path is, um, where men can be more carefree and they don't have to worry about this. So um, hopefully cryopreservation and fertility preservation Um, is more mainstream where we take away all the fear, the anxiety, the unknowns and make and break it down and biohack it essentially so we can understand it and not be fearful of it because it is such a great tool um, for extending your biological clock and preserving your fertility. Definitely. And I think that initially when this process of egg freezing came about, it was experimental. And then FDA finally approved it and said, you know, you're good to go. We can offer this commercially. Um, And then there were some questions that we always get asked is, if I froze my eggs at 35 and I wanted to use them at 45, are they 35-year-old eggs? Yeah. I think that um, understanding the timeline on which we freeze and what that means for when you are older, because you're essentially stopping the clock, right? When we freeze them in time, we're able to stop the clock and allow them to stay whatever reproductive age we are at that time. And unfortunately, the the um, evolution of an egg uh, goes through a life cycle, and um, we only have so many eggs that we were born with. And literally, by the time you're born, you you've lost like a majority, a half of them. And then by the time you hit puberty, you're down to a third. So people don't realize that in your 20s, that's why you're so fertile. Um, And we're always thinking about how we don't want to get pregnant, right? And all the ways to prevent pregnancy. But no one teaches you how to get pregnant when you actually want to get pregnant. And so it's this weird irony that when you're finally ready for children, let's say in your late 30s or maybe even 40, if it it takes that long to find the right partner, it it may not happen. Um, You know, over 40s. It becomes more difficult. It does. And, and, and that is what is so unfair and, and challenging. I think people forget that we don't get to stop that clock, no matter how healthy we are. You know, yeah. how we always say, well, 40 is a new 30. It, it is, but not for the eggs. <laughs> but it not is for the for egg. everything except for reproduction and reproductive yeah. health, yes. sadly. Yes. Which is yeah. where the, un, you know, the unequally yoked factor comes in between males and females. Um, but since we've, now taken the evolution of egg freezing and really perfected it uh, that, you know, it was experimental in 2012 or in 2013. And the ASRM, American Society of Reproductive Medicine, had just released that it was um, allowed to be used on a non-research um, basis. And that was a huge turning point for egg freezing. 
because until that point, um, it was really only used for dire situations like cancer. Um, and so now it kind of catapulted this social egg freezing is what a lot of um, media huh. and press love to call it. I think it's just how our society's changed. We're, we're delaying uh-huh. everything in life. There's more women going to college and university and getting advanced degrees and education and becoming doctors and lawyers. Like, who has time to have a baby in that mix? It, it totally changes your whole trajectory. Part of the reason that I froze my eggs three times is not only to increase my odds because I was getting a little bit later of a start in my early 30s, mid 30s, that it was important to me to kind of remove all of the static noise and all the potential factors that go into egg freezing. I mean, it really comes down to having a great doctor, having a great embryology team, um, what kind of device and cryoprotectants are used, how it's stored, and and what you do during that cycle to get a good result and what you were doing leading up to those cycles. So I, I kind of made myself a guinea pig. Um, anyone that knows my story, uh, my first egg freezing was just really, I mean, I worked in the industry in fertility and IVF um, for a good 10 years before I froze myself. I was very comfortable with it. All as my life, my personal life was developing and relationships were coming and going or you know, things weren't manifesting or coming out like I thought they would. Like, who I didn't mm-hmm. think at 30, mid-30s, I wouldn't be already with my significant other, my parenting partner, and be starting a family. Like, it just, I didn't, I just never thought that that would happen at 25, that I would be in that position at 35. Um, and that's not how life panned out for me personally. And that's okay. I'm like, I'm giving myself the most options. And that is the beauty of egg freezing. I have to say, after doing it three times, I never regret it. I'll tell you that. Maybe you think about it like this. Uh, You can always throw it away, but you can't make it appear, right? And so it's better to always err on the side of more than less. And, And if you can afford the time and the energy and the money to do that, we always recommend doing that yeah, better um, to have a not need than need and not have yep exactly and then how much more freeing is that subconsciously that you may not even realize those benefits of dating who you want to date and exploring that 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 world and not pressuring your partner about those choices because you now have a backup plan right, right. i think that's a really important distinction is yeah. that there's not this pressure to settle Right. And stick to this just, timeline just because you need yeah, the timeline. And yeah. Like yeah. my sister would say, waiting for Mr. You'll do. <laughs> so <laughs> you'll do. Uh, awesome. <laughs> Mr. Good enough to help me with this, but I need kids. <laughs> right. Yeah. You did this three times. Did you do it at three different centers? I did. You know what? I put all the factors on the table, didn't I? Um, yeah, you I did. not only had uh, three different labs, three different doctors, or two different doctors, rather. I also, you know, froze three different ages. So there's a lot of factors there. And it's interesting because the first time I froze, I got 17 eggs. About 22 were pulled out. 17 were actually frozen. And I hate to be so number conscious, but it really is a um, no, it's I a think it's important. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sure. Egg math. I always call it egg math. But um, but I don't want people to be so focused on the numbers that if they didn't get that many or they only got five or eight or something like that. That, 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 that you're not helping yourself. I mean, every single egg is a chance for a pregnancy. 
or potentially an embryo to turn into a pregnancy, but it's a long journey and it's a totally numbers game. And so I really just didn't know what to expect. So I went into this first egg freezing experience at 33 years old with very little, there wasn't a ton of information of like, expect this, you're going to be bloaty, you're going to feel um, emotional and cry at commercials. Like (laughs) no one prepared me for the emotional aspect, the physical aspect, and what happens afterwards. Like, Mm -hmm. how am I supposed to feel? Like, I thought, oh, I'm going to feel this, like, sense of relief and everything's going to be perfect. Well, actually, what it did was it made me realize I need to do this again. And how can I do this again? And I wish I had all these resources that currently didn't exist at the time in 2015 which was only a couple of years past um, when egg freezing was, was deemed viable by, by the American Society of Reproductive Medicine. And I said, how can we make it better? And how can we increase access? And how can we have better awareness so women can, can make these great choices for themselves? And then I sort of made myself a guinea pig. So I started going on fertility uh, vitamins. I started making smoothies. I was more focused on um, exercise and cardio and and working out and like how that affected my fertility. Um, What was really interesting is that my second egg freeze, I had 12 eggs, 13 were pulled out, 12 made it that were um, mature level two that were viable enough to freeze. And, you know, about every 12 to 13 eggs in as long as you're in your 30s or below equals one live birth. And so when you announce like, oh, I have 61 eggs total, it's really only like two to three kids, maybe. And for everyone listening, just keep in mind, I haven't even started yet. So I haven't even accessed the eggs at all. Um, so by the time I got to the third round, I was like, okay, I'm just all in. I'm going to be very progressive on the meds. I'm going to push it to the max. Like the second time we were a little conservative on the med plan and what hormones I took. So if anyone doesn't know the process of egg freezing, you essentially have some baseline monitoring and testing that's done, some blood draws, some ultrasounds. You might do those for a couple months until they decide, okay, green light go, you're ready to rock. And then you'll go on hormones for two weeks. And then at the end of the, close to like the 10, 12 days, um, you'll have a boost of shots called the trigger shot. And that puts all the extra like good growth hormones and everything in there for you to be prepared for retrieval day. And then you go into retrieval day and they pull out your eggs and they clean them off and they get them all shiny and new and, you know, look at them under a microscope and say, okay, which ones can be frozen, which ones can't. And that is how the process works. And so from start to finish, you're looking at about 30 to 45 day cycle, right? Because you also have the time after retrieval where your body needs to calm down, needs to cycle all those hormones that you were hyped up on and then, you know, and, and, and get back into your normal stasis. And that can be very emotional as well. Yeah. I, um, I say it's kind of like, uh, your monthly cycle. Um, (laughs) it's the, it's, it's, uh, mimicking the medications are mimicking your, natural ovulation process only it's hyping it up and making it like triple time right, right. so yeah, yeah. um the the fertility med <laughs> yeah it, and so so there's a lot of like pregnancy like symptoms your boob tenderness um you know you're super highly emotional uh it, you might like i found myself yelling at a cab driver when i wouldn't normally even <laughs> flinch right like yeah you missed that turn take this way you know whatever 
I'm, I've just found myself very irritable. Um, I was uncomfortable. I, I was severely bloated. I had a lot of um, physical side effects. I also gained um, some, some significant weight that um, shed off shortly after I finished freezing entirely because, you know, I, I did space out my egg freezing, mm-hmm. um, gave myself some time so that way I could pay for it because um, it's not a, uh, a very cheap process. Although I think the financial situation for egg freezing is definitely becoming more accessible than it has in years past when I first started. Um, you know, egg freezing is the first half of IVF. So it's about the about half of the cost of what a fertility cycle would cost. And a fertility cycle nationwide is averaging about twelve five, twelve thousand five hundred um dollars in, in US. So egg freezing should be in that six thousand, seven thousand, eight thousand dollar range. But some people charge more. Some people, some clinics charge 15K, some charge eight. Um right. so it can be really uh-huh. all over the map. And just because they charge more doesn't mean that the clinic's better. And just because they charge less doesn't mean it's bad quality. So it, it's just about having a conversation with your doctor and your clinic and understanding what they bill for, how they bill for some mm-hmm. clinics I've seen like on the East coast, they'll bill you on how many eggs you get. I don't really like that perspective of wow. being a la carte, but yeah. <laughs> you know, there's some young, there's some young women out there that all of a sudden will have 30 plus eggs. Do you know how hard it is to freeze 30 plus eggs at the same time? Like the embryologists are like literally like, oh, because they have a time limit yeah. on how they freeze. So, you know, did insurance cover any of this for you? Well, I um, froze in Illinois. So Illinois is a positive mandated uh, insurance Good. required state. I did have partial coverage, um, definitely covered my meds. I only spent $99 on my meds the first cycle, which w- later I never got that deal again. But um, yeah, it's you know, <laughs> a good deal. So I had no idea how much the meds cost until I was in cycle two and cycle three. Oh yeah. But um, and so then I really appreciated all those extra meds that I had left over from the first cycle. But um, I will say though that the retrieval fees and such were um recovered or were reimbursed um through my insurance. Now I switched jobs when I did cycle number two, so it was a different story for that situation. So it is, you know, plan specific, um, third party insurance is, is kind of wacky these days. It's hard to say, but it does help when you're in an insurance mandated state. I think New Jersey is an insurance mandated state too for IVF, but they don't allow freezing. Massachusetts is, um, there's actually 13 of them. There's 13 mandated fertility states. Um, Massachusetts is another one. But also remember how difficult it can be to travel and try to freeze. So like right. there's a lot of these egg patients or, you know, these um, programs where you can go to a different clinic that's not in your city or state, depending on where you live. And they sound great at first, but there's a lot of monitoring visits during those two weeks of hormones. And you've got to be cognitive of that. And how expensive is an Airbnb or a hotel versus living in your home that you're already paying for. So or taking some... time off from work, right? So exactly. Yeah. yeah. Not everybody has such a, a flexible um, you know, stay at home mandate or work from home uh a scenario. Maybe you have to go into an office or a, a a location physically in person and that definitely changes things as well. I I have heard though that since the pandemic um and COVID started in 
2020 that there's been a, a significant increase in egg freezing. Like we're talking like 86% increase in oh. egg freezing. Well, that, so that you know, has definitely yeah. increased um, the viability of egg freezing. Cause I think when people are at home, they don't have to be as, you know, physically present in situations where they can have that more relaxed environment to take care of their body and, and, and nurture themselves during that hormone process. Yeah. Sure. Or people started facing their own mortality. <laughs> you know, maybe there's good to be a too. little of both. <laughs> yeah. How many uh, women of this age range have stored their eggs? There's definitely been a progression of egg freezing throughout the years. Um, so I would say like in the early uh, 2015 era, about um, the average age for egg freezing was 37 to 41 or like in mm. like 2009 ish was more of that 40 ish range. Right. Mm -hmm. And then it dropped mm -hmm. a couple of years and they became younger between that 35, 37 um, age range. And now mm -hmm. they're late 20s, early 30s is the average. So just like how, um, you know, in the reproductive world, um, the first child is delayed and later in life instead of earlier. Like I think the um, average birth rate for the first child was like 27 or, 27, or mm -hmm. 25, 25. And now it's jumped to 27, which it doesn't seem like a big jump. But do you know how many older pregnancies have to happen in order to make a two year leap within mm -hmm. less than 10 years like that? We're talking a lot of women have had their first child yeah. or have had, um, you know, their first pregnancy much later in life. So it is possible. Um, the live birth rate is what is so minimal. Like they haven't really been able to see a lot of people come back and use their egg. And so that's kind of the, the paradox we're in now is, um, there's all these women that have froze more women than not have froze now these days. Um, but not as many have come back and actually used their eggs. And I'm a prime example. Like I've was freezing for five to seven years or, you know, between my early thirties and now I'm approaching 40. So, and I still haven't used them. And I don't really think the next couple of years that looks like that's in my future yet either. Um, just because of personal plans. So, um, there's only been about 5,000 live births from frozen eggs. And that includes all the medical, uh, necessity ones like cancer and, and, um, for oncology, cryopreservation reasons for, for that. Uh, so that's not that many when you think about it. Um, and that's why the thawing process is, is such a, um, taboo or like kind of hot topic is because, um, we have all this experience freezing, but we haven't had as much experience thawing and, and creating embryos from frozen eggs. Yeah, I think we have, I think we're getting a lot of that experience with respect to donor oocytes because, uh, well, they'll do a, They'll do a donor, uh, egg retrieval. And then, um, you know, the couple will come in or the uh, intended parties for reproductive, for the third party parenting comes in. Yeah. And then, you know, so we're seeing those results. You had indicated that you maybe in the next couple of years, you might be looking at utilizing your banked tissue. Do you think about it? Where is that rolling around in your thought process? I'll start off by saying, you know, the pandemic has really reset a bunch of um, priorities for me. And like, I've, I've started looking at the world maybe a little differently. Um, there's a piece of me that is like, I look at the friends that I have and the relationships of people that I know that have children and how hard it is, um, in this post COVID, 
you know, world to raise children and all of the political, um, like with vaccines and, and do you give that to a child and the masks in school and how is this generation going to grow up? Like it, part of me worries about that. Right. But I don't know. I don't know when I'll use my egg. I, I keep saying, you know, thank God I have all the options. I have potentially the option to get pregnant naturally, um, probably for a little while longer. I have my 60 frozen eggs. I have the ability to adopt. I have the ability to stay childless. So, you know, I have this gamut of, of um, options. I, I just don't know how I'm going to feel because every yeah. single year I keep saying, like, I think I'm going to feel this way. And then life doesn't seem like it doesn't feel like I'm getting older. It doesn't feel like I'm approaching 40 in nine months. Like none of that is really registering. Right. So I have really just put at peace that I did exactly what I needed to do for my reproductive choices and what I felt was the right um, listening to my gut and like feeling like what was right for me. And I'm allowing myself the grace that I don't have to have it all figured out and see how the cards play out, see how the cookie crumbles, see where where that leaves me and then how I how I feel about the situation that because you can always make a child, but you can't take them back after you have them, right? So right. <laughs> I just want to no. be very cognitive and 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 um aware and do that on purpose. Um, it's not any different than taking charge of your career or your 401k and planning for how you want your future to go. And I think that having that roadmap of other women that have done it before me was very trans transitioned my entire thinking of things. It is. Yeah. I think what's interesting though, in, in hearing, hearing this is that when you first started talking about it, uh, the word that kept coming to mind for me was that you feel you're very secure in all of your choices because you have a lot of choices, right? And one of the reasons you have those choices is because, like you said, you pre-planned, you stored your eggs, you, you know, you, so that was that sort of almost a, a calming effect. Like you said, when we have money in the bank, when we, when we have those securities, you had this reproductive security. So now you get to decide, maybe I'll use them. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll use my own. Maybe I won't, you know, uh, maybe I'll adopt. Maybe, 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 maybe. But you have a lot of those maybes that to me are very uh, stabilizing and can be very uh, empowering to stay calm about your life and go about and trust the process of where is this going to take you? Yeah. Uh, when we're talking about men, if, you know, men definitely hear that, that calling later, like you said, the average age for women was 27. The average age for men was 29. And now that has pushed into the 30s, 30s, too. But I think men are starting to sort of wake up to their biological clock as well. Because, as you know, recent studies have come out that advanced paternal age can have a very detrimental effect on pregnancy outcome. And so we've had men come into our cryobank that are concerned about that and want to store a priority before they hit 40. So, And I think that's amazing. It is amazing. And it's yeah, and the thing with it with an egg, it's yours, right? It's it's just your DNA, it's yours. When you but have an embryo, embryo there's another partner involved. Yeah. And yeah. that can get sticky so, too if there's It does get sticky, sure. Of course. Because we I mean, see I've, that in the cryo I've seen bank. Some, some really ugly situations mm -hmm. where a partnership would break up and then you're in a custody battle over your embryos. Those don't mm -hmm. go well. You know, they No, they, no, they like, don't. And your worst no, nightmare. They, 
They are. And the courts don't know necessarily how to handle them. It, it, like you said, it's sticky. And so maybe that's re- really why we should just continue focusing on oocyte egg banking, right? Because then, then it's just... It's, and it's just your you. thing, you know, and it's that's your the bank. advantage of, yeah. of donor sperm. Like a lot of older women that I coach and mentor and talk to about their family planning choices, you know, I say, don't rule out uh, sperm donation. It's very similar mm-hmm. to egg donation. Like when you're in a, 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 a relationship where maybe your eggs don't work, that um, part of the DNA isn't yours, but how much easier would that be on the legal system or, you know, in your pocketbook? Um, rather than going with the current partner you have that may not be the right one that's going to drag you out into a court battle. So right. there's there's some advantages with donor sperm. So yes. if you understand those those advantages, then you can look at it objectively. And I always say you can egg freeze and have your uh, sperm frozen and just leave them separate. And then that way, yeah. if, you, <laughs> if, you, if you end up staying together for life, great. Yep, that's... Uh, really good advice. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you do your thing, I do my thing, and then maybe we do our thing together uh, in a in a lab. And that's great advice. I think when we talk to our patients and, and clients and stuff about what is their goal, and especially people who are having trouble conceiving, and I am speaking in the heterosexual concept. Uh, so what is the goal? Is the goal to be pregnant? Is the goal to ha- have your own genes involved in this process is your goal to be a parent. Um, Cause there are a lot of, whatever your goal is your goal to have a family. Cause there are a lot of different ways we can get there. If, mm-hmm. if your goal is that you have to use your genetics, then we have to look at that. If your goal is you just want to be a parent, there's a lot of pathways to do that. I also think that knowing what you want is critical in egg freezing. Mm-hmm. I always say to women, make your egg freezing choices outside of whatever relationship status you're in. Do not Mm -hmm. make your egg freezing choices or your fertility choices or your family planning decisions based on the current relationship you're in. That's a a big mistake. Um, That if you think about what you want from a complete perspective, from start to finish, what you want, what what you're manifesting for your life, Mm -hmm. um, try to do that without looking at your current rear view mirror. Because, right. or you're, mm-hmm. you know, you just, it's, it's, it, it, hindsight's always twenty twenty, And, um, so you're bringing up a really great point. Yeah. As you ha- did as well, take care of yourself first, you know, that's, that's an important say, decision to put make on, on your, your mask own. first when you're on the that's plane, right. right? Put your mask yep. on first and then help the, the party next to you if they need it. That's not being selfish. No, that's self-love. Well, yeah, and there's a big difference, and I think it's important. I'm hoping that people will listen to this and be empowered to take control of their reproductive future. I mean, I think the whole point of, of, of egg banking and sperm banking and all of those things is to give people options without pressure later. Yes. And especially for women, I think the concept of, of what you are doing and getting the word out there and coaching people to make these decisions that are not binding. And that's just it, right? It's not binding. If you freeze your eggs and you don't want them, you can you don't them. use them. You can them, donate them you know? to research. You can yeah. give them to your sister. Yep. Yep. And so I think that it's important. And that's to me very validating and very empowering for the future of people, especially the world we work in and definitely the world I work in with respect to reproductive health is that reproduction for a lot of people say is a right. It's a, it's a, 
you know, reproductive right. But I can tell you for a lot of situations, it's a privilege because not everybody gets to do it that wants to. That's another really great point. Thanks so much for bringing that up. Because like, for example, in Europe, um, in the UK, they had storage laws and Mm -hmm. regulations on eggs, but not for sperm. It's so discriminatory. But um, yeah, they just lifted the 10-year ban on Mm -hmm. eggs being frozen for after 10 years. And that took Mm -hmm. so much legislation, so much political activism, so much work just for that basic right. Um, Mm -hmm. because eggs are so hard to freeze uh, that, you know, and if you froze at 23, you don't want to have to use them by 33, then what's the point, you know? And we show in the science that there's no genetic difference. I mean, what's the oldest embryo that was made into a human? I think it was like uh, 30-some years before Uh, that embryo was implanted or something crazy like that, 25 years? 25, yeah. 25, mm-hmm. 25 okay. to 27. I'm giving yeah. in an extra a five years. Time. I wonder, I <laughs> Either matter, way, it's a right? long time. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a long time. I mean, and IVF isn't that old. Like the first IVF baby, um, uh, Elizabeth Carr, she's she just turned 40. And the very first IVF baby born, Louise Brown, is only a year older than that. So, you know, we really have developed so much technology in such a short window of time if you look at the span of, of how things progressed that we're really far along for not being at it that long. I don't think people understand, but there have been a lot of uh, research restrictions because we can't really experiment directly on humans. We, we just, we're not really allowed to do that. Yeah. Luckily, there are some very great clinical trials out there that, um, mm-hmm. you know, women have donated uh, their DNA for those research purposes, but mm-hmm. they are harder to get approved and or to even design and start up. And mm-hmm. it takes and a they're lot limited of in their scope. Uh-huh. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And and um, there's ethics that play into factor mm-hmm. here. Right. Yes. So just yeah. like I was talking about gender, having a boy versus a girl, um, you know, there's some embryologists out there that would think that that's immoral and would not do that for them and or let you naturally select in those kind of things. I think it's a little bit more acceptable when you've already had one and you're looking at expanding your family. Um, but I, I, I know some clinics that are very um, political in that aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, even in the United States, we have the Comstock law. And when women w- wanted to access birth control, they had to have permission from their husbands. <laughs> Like, wow. Can you imagine back in the 60s when birth control was first out that the doctors weren't allowed to prescribe it unless they were married? I know. What a disservice. I mean, we've come so long, so far in the birth control and the um, prevention of pregnancy and even emergency contraception. Um, Mm -hmm. I think now we need to worry about STDs and how that affects uh, a potential future fertility plan. For sure. Um, You know, there's certain STDs out there, chlamydia, gonorrhea that are very uh, threatening to the fallopian tubes, which would prevent a natural pregnancy. Yep. You said you're working on the documentary, This is Egg Freezing. Where are you in that? Because I think that would be very helpful. Thanks for asking. Yes, um, This is Egg Freezing. It's kind of a video doc series in the works. Um, I have been collecting videos, uh, uh, footage. Um, I had a film crew uh, cover my third egg freezing journey experience the entire month that I was going through that process. And so I've been collecting film for over seven years. And so I have hours and hours and hours of... uh, So I always say when you make any kind of film or any kind of documentary or any kind of uh, video archive of anything, it really is in three three phases. So it's what's actually happening that you're filming, right? 
So mm-hmm. you, you, nothing ever goes as planned, right? So there were some pretty traumatic moments in my third egg freezing experience that I've already forgotten about, but that all were captured on tape. And um, I'm sure we'll make great TV, reality TV drama. But um, at the time, you know, it seems so important, but maybe it's not as important now these days. But I almost messed up the trigger shot. I had the wrong meds. Like, you know, who thought at their third egg freezing, you could mess it up? And I gracefully did. But, um, you know, there's workarounds and there was uh, problem solving. So, you know, cliffhanger. You'll get to see all that in the documentary. <laughs> but then there's the process of editing all of this content right. and making sure it's entertaining and or ha- progresses and tells the story. And what kind of story am I telling? And the story's not over. Like, look, um, right. no one thought uh, 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 no one thought a pandemic was happening. So uh, when that curveball hit the scene, I was in the process of transferring my eggs into long term storage because I didn't I didn't yeah. need them at three different clinics. Right. And it made right. more sense financially. To put the, and that got put on hold. And what were the repercussions? Does the coronavirus, we don't still know, really 100%, does it affect a, a frozen um, egg or embryo or um, sperm? Um, or the vaccine what, for that matter. Yeah. Or the vaccine. And can it be in a cryo tank with all these other type of um, DNA? And is there transferable, um, you know, liquid mm-hmm. fibers, things in the air? Like now we're learning so much more about these airborne um, viruses that it's mm-hmm. it's making the lab scenario even more frightening because we were already concerned about air quality in the in the fertility lab but now mm-hmm. we have these yeah. airborne viruses that right. are more potent and, and awareness of what those can do and how deadly those can be but then also too like there's a whole political genre of of things and we you know we don't want to pick good <laughs> sides or bad sides or even try to discuss that that can of worms and how many women were delayed in and putting their lives on hold and not being mm-hmm. able to date and can't progress. And they're at these very tender ages where maybe um, child bearing naturally is going to go out the window. Like you're going to lose that time because of mm-hmm. the, the virus. So nothing goes as planned. That's the whole thing about the documentary that's kind of like cyclical to life is that I thought I would already be out and it'd be in Netflix by now. But um, you know, we had some, had some glitches. And, uh, so I'm just continuing to record and we'll see how the story hands out or what messaging will actually portray, but the whole purpose and intention behind this is egg freezing documentary is really to demask and take away the black curtain and show yeah. people what egg freezing looks like, how it feels, what it looks like from the point of view of my journey. Um, and some of the earlier footage that I had in journey one comparing to journey two versus the third egg freezing experience, and then the storage options and talking about every little crevice of decisions, how many decisions there are to make. Not at all. Straight up. (laughs) (laughs) So I think what's important, I maybe you've thought about this as well, but also we have, uh, egg donors who actually go through what you went through, but are paid to do that. And then their, their eggs, oocytes are retrieved. And then those are frozen and, and given to, given to the family who, right. Mm-hmm. Who wants them. So there's that scenario. And I think that that documentary would be helpful for them as well. It's just like you said, even though you're in the field, uh, you don't really know what to expect until those meds hit your body. And it's different for each person. 
But I think there's a baseline story that is relatively feasible for anyone or can it can be ounces of truth that that can show you a foreshadowing of what your life could be. And and a, a documentary that shows the the dirty details, the the nitty oh, gritties of it. We you got know, it. Let me tell you. I mean, we yeah. were uh, cameras in the embryo uh, or I mean, the embryologist lab room. We were up in the retrieval room like nothing is uh Nothing was off limits. Like it really is bearing all. Um, yeah. And I and I, I I don't know how much of that tape will hit the floor or versus <laughs> actual um, final edit. But um, that's that's the fun part is that we have it all. Yeah, there you go. Uh-huh. And everybody's experiences really are different. Like I've had women that had maybe not great experiences, and 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 I wanted to showcase that. I just didn't want it to be a plug for, oh yeah, everybody has this really great outcome. Some women mm-hmm. went back and used their eggs that I've interviewed since, um, you know, the conception of, of experience and it didn't work. Um, but they still found their journey into motherhood. And that's the beauty of this is that maybe, yeah. uh, egg mm-hmm. donation was where they, where they ended up or, um, they ha- adopted or they became a foster mom or, mm-hmm. you know, there's, and then sometimes it worked. So, um, and then some people haven't used them at all. So, and, or got pregnant naturally. So there's so many uh-huh. different types of journeys and it really is personalized. And I think that's why the doctors have a hard time educating about this is because yeah, yeah. your sure. path could go in multiple different directions. So this time with you has been just so informative. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us? Ladies, I think we did a really excellent, excellent job. <laughs> excellent. <laughs> well, we appreciate your time Very and much. we'd love to post your contact information you're able to reach me via cell phone email social media whichever platform you find first it all works i get it all okay well good and of course we'll post that on our podcast and and our social media as well but we uh, are so grateful for your time and your experience and your willingness to be an open book i know that a lot of people have questions about this and maybe they don't want to ask but i'm certain that this will be quite enlightening for them but again valerie thank you so much for your time thanks for having me yeah Yeah. all right we'll talk soon see you on the flip side everyone well that was exciting huh Betsy? (laughs) yeah i knew it i knew i I could rely on you (laughs) it was i mean i i I learned some stuff exceptional yes I mean, I learned a lot more than I'm sure you did because I'm not in the well, bio yeah, banking I mean, I've world, never been on but... that side of the camera, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. It's involved. I yeah. I really hope she, when she finishes that documentary, you know, it's it's warts and all kind of thing, you know, you get to see everything. Um, and I think that's really important because a lot of times whenever we go in for a medical procedure, we, we literally go in blind. blind. Yeah. yeah. No, I think what she's doing is really cool in a way that, you know, giving back to everybody the knowledge that she didn't have when she went through the process to make sure that nobody else has to deal with that. That's it's right up my little alley of being the change you want to see I in know. the world. Yeah, so. and she's just got the right personality to do it for sure. The, yeah. the enthusiasm and the dedication to uh, choice, you know, cho- reproductive preservation and choice and what that brings is is solid. Yeah, yeah, really enjoyed it. Me too. That was a that was a lot of fun. If you are interested in getting hold of Valerie, you can find her at shore.by forward slash Valerie D. Landis. And that's S-H-O-R dot B-Y forward slash 
Valerie, V-A-L-E-R-I-E, D, Landis, L-A-N-D-I-S. This podcast was created to promote Look Both Ways in the textbook written by Dr. Cairo. Look Both Ways is a nonprofit organization based in Loveland, Colorado, with a mission to educate our youth about their reproductive health to make informed decisions for their future. We do this by educating the educators through professional development, and we also put on free conferences for both teens and parents of teens. Textbooks used at schools are donated by Look Both Ways to eliminate the money obstacle for schools interested in piloting or adopting our curriculum and textbook. As a nonprofit, we're always fundraising and accepting donations. For more information about Look Both Ways, our fundraising efforts, getting a textbook donated to you, or to make a donation, please visit lookbothways.us. That's L-O-O-K-B-O-T-H-W-A-Y-S dot U-S. This podcast was produced by Peach Islander Productions in Fort Collins, Colorado. This is Mandy Johnson and Dr. B wishing you well. Be sure and catch all our episodes of It's Not Human Sexuality on Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts.